this is a momentous episode. Nobody <laughs> thought we would get here, least of all us. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's episode 100. Yay! Who we should have trumpets think? blaring and uh, horns going off. And, yeah. A, and it's a, it's a straight testament to our listeners. Yeah, to you folks, yeah. Can't believe you put up with me, much less Murph, you know, so. Uh, well, one of us has to be the voice of reason, and that would be me. Yeah, that would be you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I'm off my meds. Um, You've been again, working too hard, long, haven't you? What's that? You've been working too hard. Uh, I tell you what, another long trip. This one, I did get to go to see Cowboy Stadium. I actually got to see Dak Prescott throw some uh, passes during practice. Uh, oh, cool. It's really interesting. So just came back from Dallas and the uh, Cowboys have a, an amazing facility compared to what the team formerly known as the Redskins had out here in Loudoun County. They got a shit facility. Yeah. But the Dallas, uh, I tell you, Jerry Jones knows how to do it right. They've got a practice field that has both artificial turf and natural grass. Um, they've got one side of the field or the field has regular size fields goals. And the other one on the turf side has a really narrow one because it forces the kicker. You know, you got to really focus. Mm -hmm. And then there's one just a little bit bigger on the turf side. Uh, so I think there's like four sizes of field goal, but there's only one that's regulation size. Wow. But they make them kick, you know, that's part of the track. That's part of the practice apparently, but no, it is a beautiful facility. I mean, just it's one Cowboys way in Frisco, Texas. Yes, sir. We got the, I mean, I actually got to speak inside the, the stadium once. It was, a. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should say it. Yeah, hey, what the heck? It was a U.S. Attorney's Office for that area, for that district, and we were a couple of keynotes. Well, you were at the uh, Cowboys Stadium over in Arlington, and then their practice facility and headquarters is over in Frisco. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I thought you were in the same place. No, no, I've I've spoken in that stadium many times when we took a tour. I was talking the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool. And when you came in, you know, you were you you of course your buses go underneath the stadium, yep. you're underground. But when you come out, you're at field level. Yep. That was really it, cool when they had the Jumbotron, so you got your picture up on the Jumbotron. Jerry Jones hated them damn kickers because they would try and kick the punt so high and hit the Jumbotron. So, Well, there's a story with that because he told them, they, they warned him about that to start with. And uh, he said, put it where I said. And then he had to pay again for him to relocate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that when you got money. But hey, anyway, we digress. Uh, start drinking early. We're going to do that too. So... Hey, back to back to the show here. So, uh, hey, thanks guys for joining us. We're, what we're going to do this time, we're, we're going to kind of dispense with uh, some of the traditional stuff like we do, small town police blotter. That that will come back in episode one hundred and one. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do here is, uh, first of all, we want to say thank you guys for hanging with us for a hundred episodes. There's many of you folks out there, longtime listeners. Uh, we see your comments on the fan page run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. Um, you guys support us. You, you ask us all sorts of questions. You engage. We can't tell you how much fun that is just to go in and find, you know, and they're starting to repeat stuff like rule number one. What's rule number one? Don't do math. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we see stories about stupid people doing math. So <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, you, you, if you're not on there on the on the fan page on Facebook, you need to get over there because we've got some funny people there. They, every time you looked on there, it makes you laugh. Yeah. So uh, as we get started, just say, you know, some of the some of the usual stuff we do, just head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you're thinking about this. Uh, we appreciate, we read these comments, you know, we take them to heart. We try and make this thing better. Head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. It will factor into this show when we start talking about our book list. Follow us on that thing they call social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But guys, make sure you visit us, patreon.com slash game of crimes we've got some good stuff coming up um for this month by the time this will go out we will have recorded uh, uh our narcometer review we're going to leave that a secret but that one we just decided not to put it out for a vote we wanted to do something to pay homage to one of our episodes so we're going to do that and uh, murph and i will be headed to san diego to the southern california gang conference where we shall be collecting some amazing Amazing interviews. Oh, yeah. There's there's some uh, special people coming out for this one. Um, and we can't, we're, honestly, we're just not allowed to tell you who they are now because even the attendees of the conference don't know who's don't coming know. to it. The security level is very high for these types of conferences, and, and that's in all seriousness. But trust us when we tell you that you may get a surprise with some of the interviews we get out but of San Diego. we know. We know. We're on the inside. Yeah. 
You know, and one thing we don't mention on here is our merch page. We never talk about our merchandise. You know, we, we should do that. Uh, and we need to redo the merch page. You folks, we owe it to you to redo that merch page. Kind of, you know, narrow it down, winnow it down, and make it uh, uh, better for you guys. But we'll, 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 see what, we'll, we'll see what is new out there with our merch provider and see if we can come up with some things. Well, you know, and I was talking to Connie about that just today, as a matter of fact. And uh, she's willing to jump in and help us with the designs and so forth to come up with some good stuff. Maybe throw some of the sayings that we've used on here that we see on our fan page afterwards. Sit down, strap in, shut up, and hold on. Rule number one, don't do meth. Rule number one, don't do meth. <laughs> Brought to you courtesy, Game of Crimes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's one, uh, if you're going to see, if you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. Yeah. Um, well, oh, shoot, there's another one I thought of. Uh, eh, we'll think. Well, hey, look, uh, dude, this is coming out of your half. I'm not paying her. You, you got to you got to pull this out of your house. <laughs> she gets to live with Murph. What more could she ask for? A refund? <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Too late. Too late. But speaking of that, just head on over to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We do have some good stuff coming up. So let's get into this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through and review, uh, just do a high-level review of episodes 51 through 99 because we already did 50. 50 was our... Um, when we did with uh, JP, we did Pablo's Hippos, but we were reviewed our first, you know, 49 episodes, basically. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is here, we're going to start with episode 51, Murph. And episode 51 was a buddy of yours. It's Bish. Keith Bishop. So what we're going to do, too, is read to you what we wrote, you know, for the description. So it was Keith Bishop of the Denver Broncos went from being the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL to fighting terrorists and drug cartels in the DEA. Keith talks about his reasons for giving up such a lucrative career and why he chose law enforcement. Besides a wicked sense of humor and definitely the king of practical jokes, King <laughs> Keith was one of Parade Magazine's top cops in America in 2009. And remember, like you said, number 54 on the program, but number one in your heart. There you go. And, and don't piss him off because he's big as a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> he's got hands. I'm not kidding. His, his, one of his hands is like, both of my hands together, and I don't have small hands. That's a man. He's a man. He's a big boy. He is, and uh, but I mean, but that that was neat though. He is he is a freaking funny dude, and some of the practical jokes they played on people. I'm telling you, <laughs> he didn't care who you were. I mean, the head of, of special operations walked away from his computer in his office one day, and Keith saw that he left his his computer system on, and got in there and started sending love messages to. <laughs> other people in the building. He even got a hold of the administrators back when we had... Uh, uh, blackberries? Uh, blackberries. I, I kept thinking Blackthorn. Even when we had Blackberries, he was sending messages out her, on her Blackberry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is somebody that was appointed by the president. <laughs> oh, he's a great sense of humor. And I tell you what, you know what, with Keith, uh, he doesn't put on airs. He, doesn't, he won't talk about football unless you ask him, and then he's still... He's not. He will never brag about himself, but actually one of the best, best investigators I've ever met in my life. One of the most dedicated. I've gotten uh, text messages from him at three thirty in the morning, where he's still in the office working on operations. Uh, I've also seen him go to New York City and tie one on and miss the bus going home the next day to go to the airport. Had to take a later flight because he passed out in his bathtub at the hotel. <laughs> so. I mean, love the guy. Just love the guy. He's he's great. So check him out, Keith Bishop. Yeah, and it was his relationship with with uh, John Elway. You know, protecting him mm-hmm. for all those years on the offensive line, and then going to work for him as the which he was doing when we talked with him. He was the director of uh, security operations, right? Still is vice yep. president over security for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. So he is. I mean, again, he's still number one in your hearts. But uh, Keith Bishop is still. The man. And by the way, but his practical jokes, they played on the rookies and stuff in the locker rooms. You just got to listen to the episode. Episode 51, Keith Bishop. Great sense of humor. All right. Well, hey, uh, so then we went to uh, episode. And what we're going to do, folks, is when an episode also has a book, we're going to talk about the book. So we don't have a book yet until episode 59. Um, Keith was an offensive lineman, got his bell rung too many times, doesn't know how to write. So, uh, don't, Keith, don't, I didn't don't, say don't, that. That was Morgan said that. That was Steve. Steve wrote it for me to say. <laughs> he doesn't call me Steve. He calls me Murph. 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 So does so. Well, uh, somebody else calls you Murph, but he calls you a hillbilly. Um, so the next one we had. Yeah. So the next one we had Quincy Smith. Good kid. Just a yeah. great infectious attitude. Um, it was a quiet shift. Uh, this is episode 52. 
So episode 52 is Quincy Smith. It was a quiet shift on New Year's Day in Estill, South Carolina, for Officer Quincy Smith. As a young and active officer, he recently acquired some recording technology on his own to document his numerous contacts with citizens. Many times his personal recordings were able to show that a complaint was unjustified on this day. The camera captured the worst day in his life as he was shot three times, severely wounded, but it also uh, helped track down the person who did it and ultimately get them convicted. You know what? And and you get in these small communities and you think, nothing's ever going to happen to me. I've got all this gear. I've got a bulletproof vest. I don't need all this stuff. This is a small, quiet community. Quincy, Quincy is, thank God he's still alive, you know, but man, he he showed you what can really happen and just happened in a, in a split second there in one of the smallest, quietest communities in South Carolina. A guy tried to take his life. Yeah. Just, but uh, again, another guy, great sense of humor, uh, great attitude about stuff. And he, he definitely, you know, it, it was not his day to die, but let me tell you, uh, could have been different. Like you said, it, he was uh, just one of those things, but that, th- those Google, I think it was glasses or something he had on, that's what helped him. That's basically what captured everything and saved his life. So right, glad you're around. Hey, next one though. Episode 52, or episode 53, I should say. This one's one of my buddies from my state patrol days, Mark Conboy, Trooper Mark Conboy. And I remember, I remember when this happened because uh, I believe, I think when we were talking, we were in uh, in service training in the academy. Uh, you know, we'd come back, we're out on the road, we're all the time, but we're, they, they bring you back. You drive in on a Monday morning, I think, or Sunday night, and then Monday through Thursday would be in-service training, and then you leave Thursday. So it was our way to get our 40 hours of training in each year, and mm-hmm. we're all there. And this stuff starts going down, man. And uh, Mark, uh, along with two officers from Colby, Kansas Police Department, this is this is stuff that still affects people to this day. These shootings. So let, let me read you what it says. Trooper Mark Convoy, Kansas Hot Patrol, helped stop a multi-state crime spree that left five people dead and three critic- critically wounded, including a deputy sheriff, Ben Albright. His split-second decision to continue the pursuit, even though he was dangerously low on fuel, and he was, he was on fumes, saves lives and helped bring it into a violent rampage. And it just shows you that, you know, you've got troopers like Mon- Mark Convoy who are, are literally engaged with law enforcement, and you got AAA here. You know, who's helping you with your flat tires and getting you gas when you run out on the side of the road. So, yeah, distinct difference there. Yeah, and uh, I, I tell you, by the way, you know, I'm calling you Triple A now, right? Yeah, Triple A, whatever. It's it's like Triple <laughs> X, you know. You know, with uh, yeah, not quite. <laughs> no, I am. I'm I'm Triple X. You know, Triple A. <laughs> you you find you, you do what you got to do, right? Do what you got to do, but um, we're gonna have some fun going to have some fun. That's right. So, but anyway, but hey, this is uh, me saluting Mark, uh, fellow trooper and stuff. But yeah, it was, um, it, it, that, that was the, the five people died. Um, that it was senseless. Danny Rometta executed in Florida as he should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Walters killed in the shootout. James Hunter, um, went to trial, was convicted. They got, how they got a retrial, well, they moved, got a change of venue. Uh, I think three days after uh, he was acquitted of that, he's walking down the street. Good Lord decides to call him home. He has a heart attack. No appeal from that. So uh, the only person that's left is Lisa Dunn. And there may be some, uh, I know somebody who's working on a book and there may be some stuff still left to talk about with Lisa Dunn, but we'll see. All right. Good job, Mark Conboy. Good job, Mark Conboy. Next one. We did. Guess what we did? We did stories from the Southern California Gang Conference. So yes, we did. We were out there last time, and we decided, hey, let's just see what kind of trouble we can get into. <laughs> and I tell you, one of the people that we caught up with was, you know, you've probably heard me say before, I don't really have heroes, but I have people that I look up to. And the first one was Claudia Apollinar. Mm-hmm. If you remember the story, she was episode 26. But we caught up with her because she, by the you know, this time she had healed considerably, and she was ready to go back to work. Here's a young lady that I just have the utmost respect for. Um, if I want my daughters to emulate themselves after somebody, it's her motivation, her determination, her willingness to get back in the game. Don't let somebody get you down. Choose to be a leader. Don't be a follower. I mean, there's a, a, th- a thousand different cliches that you could associate with the Claudia. Just so proud. I'm so happy for her the way things turned out, especially uh, physically after being shot so many times. Uh, I mean, just a motivational little bit. She's just, you know, she's not big as a minute, but man, she's ready to go. She's back at work now. You guys had, uh, 
you need to catch up with it if you haven't heard that one. It's very, very motivational. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. Yeah, and we, we caught up with Claudia Polinar, Aaron Graham, Victor Avia, uh, Lou Velozzi, and all of these folks have been on Game of Crimes. And also, guess who else we got to talk to? Who's that? George Young's pro- federal parole officer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what a story uh, from that, man. And Lou Velozzi. I mean, who's that guy? I don't remember him. Who was who? he? Lou, Lou who? <laughs> Lou who? <laughs> Cindy Lou who? There you go. Cindy Lou who? Well, hey, then we got to episode 55, and with 55, we had uh, one of our people that Christy Schiller had set us up with, yep. Constable Madison Sperry and her singing canine Quella. Gotta <laughs> love it, man. That was fantastic. Well, and here's the quick description. It said, Constable Madison Sperry, the Harris County Constable Precinct 1 in Texas, has not one but two canines. Her story starts with horses, Christy Schiller. But when she ends up working for Christy Schiller and Canine for Cops, her world changes. Her personal protection canine, Quella, is the star of the show. Lip-syncing to Who Let the Dogs Out has garnered over 70 million, at the time we did this, views on YouTube. Wow. Her community outreach and dedication to law enforcement is clearly on display in this interview, but don't be fooled. She is one tough cookie and dedicated constable with a heart of gold. So mm-hmm. we even got the canine uh, page listed. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it's like uh, she takes no shit. I mean, she she's like, I got the dog here. And people would look at her and they say, you look like a nice young lady, you know. No. She's cute as a button. But do do not mistake kindness for weakness, folks. That would be your first mistake. <laughs> You're not kidding. That's not one lady I'd want to ever mess with. Uh, but, you know, I love these these canine stories that we were able to get on here. And Christy Schiller, thank you so much again for, for connecting us with all these people. Uh, you and yourself were a story that we had on the, in the first 50, right? Yep. Uh, I was looking here on episode 43 was Christy's interview, and that's worthy of mentioning again. But, again, here's Christy who had been attacked, who has been attacked publicly, physically, you know, and, and never let any of that stuff get her down. And look what she's doing now. Canines for cops, canines for kids, just leading the way. And, and again, you know, in every, in every part of your life, you can choose to be a leader or you can choose to be a follower. And Christy is leading all the way. So thank you so much, Christy. And, uh, and thank you, Madison, for getting us kicked off with our canine interviews. Yeah, that's right. And then guess who we got? Then this is one that you ran into, Murph. Yes, sir. IRS, and this is fun because this was followed by another uh, interview with Thomas Kirk from West Virginia. He was the superintendent of the West Virginia State Police. But Jeff Sandy was an IRS agent, and he, guess what he got to do? He got to go over and track um, the uh, billions that Saddam Hussein had misdone. So the real quick description, Jeff Sandy was the favorite of Nancy Reagan during the presidential campaign. He could have gone in several different directions, but his heart was in West Virginia. Although he worked many important cases, he had the mission of a lifetime when he volunteered to go to Iraq after Saddam Hussein had been defeated, interviewed Tariq Aziz, and helped the country of Iraq recover billions in stolen money. What a I mean, just an all-around good guy, and now he's the secretary of public safety in the state of West by God, Virginia. Right, that's a, that's a that's a an appointment by the governor, uh, and Javier and I got to meet uh, Jeff and our next guest after Jeff was Tom Kirk. Uh, they were attending a conference we were speaking at, and I I, I want to say it was Ohio, but I'm not even sure anymore. We've done so many, and you know I, I kind of joke around when I'm introducing myself to people because I tell them I was a uniformed police officer in a, in a town you've never heard of, Bluefield, West Virginia. Unless you've been there, you've never heard of it. And afterwards, they came up and they're like. We know where Bluefield is. We know very well where Bluefield is. And we got to talking, found out, you know, uh, Jeff was IRS agent stationed in West Virginia. Tom was a state trooper who, well, let's hold off on him because we'll talk about him next. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a minute. uh, Jeff is, I was shocked. I mean, that never happens. It rarely, rarely happens that somebody comes up to me like that and and is a police officer in West Virginia, the uh, chief of the little town I grew up in and went to high school with uh, in Princeton, West Virginia came up and introduced himself at another conference one time in Savannah. And it just shocks you to death because nobody's ever heard of these places, you know, unless you've been there. They're so small. Well, I, I've heard of Princeton, but I thought that was up in, you know, 
some other Jersey. place like New Jersey or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they're, they patterned themselves after Princeton, West Virginia. Yes, they did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, there was a comment too, and I replied to it. Um, and because some folks asked, I mean, there's a couple things going on right now with the West Virginia State Police, and people said, "What do you think about it? You know, um, do you think the truth will come out?" And I say, "Hey, look, I trust." We interviewed uh, Jeff Sandy. I trust this guy 100%. So he has got he's got uh, the utmost integrity and respect for the law. If there's anything there to be found, Jeff, there will be nothing swept under the rug. Jeff is going to find it, it. It's going to be it is what it is, and he's going to make sure it sees the light of the day. Absolutely. It's and, and and folks, just because we know these people or they're from our home states, we never change our opinion. Nobody hates a bad cop more than we're a good cop. That was the other saying I was thinking about to put on a shirt. Yep. Well, and the chief, the chief in Princeton is Tim Gray, who's actually become a friend of ours now. Um, Javier and I actually did went and we did a show in Princeton, West Virginia, before COVID to help raise funds for the police department to get some necessary equipment that they needed. So just uh, I love it. Love it when people come up from your home state and say hello. Well, well, that interview followed then with our next interview, episode 58, Tom Kirk. And this was interesting. He was just going to just bypass everything. And this is one of those times that, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Let's go back. Come to find out, he was flying classified missions into Cambodia during Vietnam you know, and, mm-hmm. and while he was completing law school at night, working undercover, you know, he went from flying those to doing the working uh, uh, undercover and completing law school. So he worked his way up from a trooper with the West Virginia State Police through 18 years undercover to become the colonel. So he was appointed as the colonel. His story includes taking down an untouchable organized crime fist figure in West Virginia, someone who had never spent a day in jail until Tom was on the case. And this is one of those times when Jeff Sandy went out to meet Tom in the car and Jeff thought he was about to be rolled because here comes this hippie looking dude, big hair in a beat up car. And he says, get in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look, if you can see uh, uh, Tom's Kirk's picture now, he still has a full head of hair. He's got more hair than you got, Morgan. No, he doesn't. So, so I can imagine when he pulled up and he's got long hair and looking shaggy, that's probably a formidable sight. <laughs> but here's the cool thing, you know, Tom worked his way up all the way through the ranks to become the commandant, the, the head of the West Virginia State Police. And Not in West commandant, Virginia, the no, superintendent commandant. Well, they they call the commandant of the academy, or they call the head of the State Police Academy the commandant. But the, the head of the West Virginia State Police is a colonel. It's not a general. It's not one of these inflated titles. If you're the colonel, you're the head of the West Virginia State Police. Both he and both Tom and Jeff have the most humble attitudes uh, you would never know there's anything special about these guys. They don't go around putting on airs, trying to pretend some to be some kind of tough guy or anything. They're not looking to call in favors. They're just still trying to do the right thing, even though they've retired from their initial law enforcement jobs. And that kind of ties into the the saying that Javier and I like to use, and that's just because we retired doesn't mean our oaths ever expired. And these two guys are, are living proof that they're continuing to live up to their oaths. Yeah, absolutely. Um well, now here, episode 59, this is it. This gets interesting because this is where we start getting into our books uh, list for this uh, next 50 episodes. But we met this gentleman down at the Southern California Gang Conference. We worked to get him on, and it's Michael Franzese. Michael Franzese was a capital regime in the violent and feared Colombo crime family. His father was the underboss in the family, and eventually Michael became a made man. But things weren't as they seemed. He met a woman who changed his life. He did 10 years in prison and became the first high-ranking official member of a major crime family to walk away, no protective custody, and survive. And so, uh, and when, I mean, like I, I'm telling you, so real quickly too, I'll pull out, he wrote several books. I mean, we've got, uh, uh, and these are all listed on our book page, so Game of Crimes podcast, you'll just see a link at the top called uh, Book List. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse, insider business tips from a former mod boss, quitting the mob, uh, the good, the bad, and the forgiven, mafia democracy, from the godfather to God the father, blood covenant, the story of the mafia prince who publicly quit the mob and lived. Michael, I mean, but now, Steve, I will tell you, we had this, but at the same time, then we had uh, Jack Garcia on, and Jack voices his concerns that the you know he didn't believe that the guy was legit. Mm-hmm. And see, that's that's why we leave it up to you guys to to talk about. It. I mean. You look at him and guys like Mel Chancey, where you say, you might be able to fake it for so long, but when it's been five years, 10 years, mm-hmm. you go, okay, have they paid their debt to society? Did they do their time? Um, but, you know, he, overall, he was a good, I mean, with us, he was a good guy. With uh, with Michael, uh, I met him the year before you and I talked to him yeah. through the Southern California Gang Conference. Uh, he was there. 
And, and you know, when you first meet these former bad guys, you're a little standoffish with them. You're not quite sure what it is because they've, they've been – uh, they've been gaming, scamming people their whole lives, and, you know, and so you, I always kind of look at it as they're trying to scam me. With, you mean like the one we met at the last Southern California game oh, yeah. conference? Yeah, yeah, that guy, he still belongs in prison. Yeah. But but with Michael, he came across uh, very straightforward, did some checking on him. He's a uh, became a Christian while he was in prison. And here's the thing. I've checked him. I've followed him since I first met him. He lives the Christian lifestyle. He's he's talks to talk and he walks the walk. So, uh, and then when we heard him speak last year and he had that other guy that we just spoke Turd. about. That, yeah. There you go. I was trying to be nice, but that's a nice way to say shit bag. Right. <laughs> well, you just said it. <laughs> but, uh, Michael, you know, when the guy would say stuff, Michael didn't accept what he said. Michael gave his own opinion. Yeah. So uh, I I consider Michael Franzese a friend now. Jack Garcia, uh, you're a brother in law enforcement, always will be. I, uh, I appreciate and honor your opinion. You saw him from a different side, and, and I didn't. But what I'm judging on is after he did his time in prison. So uh, not going to head-to-head with you because I'm afraid you'd pick me up and break me in two, too. But uh, <laughs> I love Michael Franzese. Extremely intelligent. He can describe uh, uh, um, scams that yep. – I mean, I have to sit there and take notes to try to figure out what he's talking about. Well, he did that whole thing with the gas, uh, the tax on gas and, you know, how he avoided that. And I and think we could have got him to talk. His dad dimed him out is the reason he went to prison. His own father, who was going to become the head of, was it the Colombo family, I think? Colombo crime family, yeah. Yeah. Your own dad, did you? No oh, honor yeah. among thieves. Teams. Uh, so, we'll just... And we've met Michael's wife, some of his family members, just, uh, you know, good, solid people in our opinion. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things you can fake it for so long, but it's it's very hard to fake it for years like that. So anyway, episode 60, I think, uh, Steve, without a doubt, uh, one of our most important episodes we've ever done. I mean, there have been some good episodes, but this one is the most, I think, especially for young women out there, Natasha Herzig. Now let's uh, let's read the description real quick. It started with the compliment, the first approach by a sophisticated gang of sophisticated gang of human traffickers. She was kidnapped at gunpoint, beaten, stopped, uh, stripped naked, left alone in a room for days. Her journey into being trafficked as an escort just begun. She received a beating just for asking if she could go home. That's when reality struck. When her kidnapper told her, "Bitch, you ain't never going home." It took 15 years to get the justice she deserved. And as we say, this is one of the most important episodes we've ever done. This is a lesson to parents, friends, businesses, and law enforcement on how to spot and stop human sex trafficking. And Steve, just as we were, before we started recording, there's a story out here in the DC area. A bunch of Marines were uh, in DC uh, for some reserve duty or whatever. And a reserve officer staying at the Hampton Inn spotted a bunch of girls. They actually just got through disrupting another human trafficking ring uh, running uh, out of one of the hotels out here. They made some arrests. You know, and I got to tell you, this, you know, first of all, Natasha, thank you so much for having the, the guts to come on and tell your story, not just here on Game of Crimes, but she travels around the country now and tell, tells her story to anybody that will listen because she's trying to get the word out. She's trying to do the right thing. Once again, being a leader, not a follower. Now, my wife listened to this story and she immediately put the word out to our daughters, to our, all of our female family members, listen to this. And so here's, I haven't even told you about this yet, this past weekend, uh, our oldest daughter called like at one o'clock in the morning. She had been with a girlfriend. They'd been out doing some things, running around Saturday night. It was about one o'clock in the morning. They decided they wanted to go have a drink and do some dancing and then go home. Went into the one, one of the local clubs there in Arlington, Northern Virginia. Um, noticed that were there are a couple guys watching them, you know, making eye contact, and they're just scanning the room. And they're not they're not Monica and her friend are not there looking for dates. They're just had to have some fun. So uh, eventually they saw this old man. Every time they'd scan the room, this old man had li- eyes locked on Monica and her friend. And that was creepy because this was more of a young person's type bar. Then she saw the original guys talking to the old man. So eventually, you know, Monica and her friend go up to order a drink. The guys at the bar turn around, say, what would you like? You know, our treat. And they're like, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this. But anyway, I said, you know, give us, a, I think it was a lemon drop or something like that was the drink they asked for. Well, the guys turned around to the bar and then formed a wall so that they ordered the drink and the girls could not see if they were manipulating their drink. But because of stories like Natasha's and Monica being brought up to be aware of your surroundings and not trust anybody, when they handed her and her friend the drinks, 
They said, thank you. They walked away. The guys tried to engage them in conversation. They said, no, we're just, you know, thank you very much. We really appreciate this. And they went and hid their drinks under a table, you know, because they didn't want to antagonize these guys to where they might say something. And the funny thing is, when, when they hid their drinks under there, Monica said, she turned around, there's the old man still staring at him. So they went outside. There were a group of police officers, went and told the police officers what was going on, called an Uber. The cops waited for them, waited with them until Uber got there. And they were able to get home to, or they were able to get over to Monica's girlfriend's apartment where her boyfriend, who happens to be an FBI agent, was. So he was able to give some surveillance and protection to Monica until she was able to get home. And it's all because of people like Natasha Herzig having the guts to tell their story as bad and as horrible and as tough as that guy has to be to relive those, th- those things that she went through. You know, I feel like my oldest daughter was protected that night because of stories like Natasha. So I just can't yep. thank you enough, lady. You are one hero in my book. The Gift That Keeps on Giving, episode 60. Uh, episode 61, though. This is something you're involved with, Murph. We got Guy Knopfsinger. Again, we had to drill into Guy's background, and it's the Guy Knopfsinger and the Lost Clipper, an 80-year-old cold case. The first documented case of aerial skyjacking occurred on July 29, 1938, when 15 Americans disappeared somewhere around beautiful Micronesia for 20 years. Guy Knopfsinger has painstakingly pieced together accounts, reports, information, and evidence that links the missing Hawaii Clipper to the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, and I know um the lostclipper.com you guys can go there there is you guys it's still he's still trying to piece this all together he is we're we're trying to raise money now to get a a last and final trip which i think will be his fifth or sixth trip i've only been over there once uh but check it out lostclipper.com this is again just because you retire your oath doesn't expire check it out you're going to love it i promise you're going to love what you're going to read and he was a naval officer. I didn't realize that too. You know, did the photography. That's where he learned a lot of his skills. And so he's serving our country. But at the same time, he starts getting into this. And now, I think there's, you know, think about it, Murph. If they find out that that's what happened, that that changes the whole course, really, the history, our understanding of how World War II started. Absolutely. So there'd be a whole new first act of, of World War II of the Japanese against the United States, and it's not Pearl Harbor. It is not Pearl Harbor. Well, hey, let's go to this next one. This next one was funny, too, because just because of one of the name of the gangs, DEA Lenny agent Lenny Athos from Manuel Noriega to the Booby Boys. So, <laughs> so Lenny Athos started his law enforcement career as a Maryland state trooper. Of course he did. It's a fine and noble profession. And then he went I bet you don't call job. him AAA. <laughs> yeah. One call changed his direction, which led him to DEA. Lenny followed the money trail for Manuel Noriega after he'd been removed from power going to faraway countries in search of um, Noriega's illicit cash. Another case in Miami led to the arrest of several members of the Booby Boy, a gang so violent that when they were arrested, Murph, the murder rate in Miami-Dade dropped. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, it's like taking out Pablo Escobar in Colombia. We saw the murder rate drop in Medellin by 80%. You know, the thing about Lenny is he had so many more stories, we just didn't have enough hours to to (laughs) capture everything. Oh, Oh, man. There just wasn't. I mean, it's just, but it's like all of these stuff, man. It is just, it's amazing what these guys do. And it's amazing the stories you get into, Murph. I mean, this is Manuel Noriega. In fact, uh, that was that one story you talked about when you had, I think, uh, one of the Colombian uh, uh, police, Police national police officers up there, the captains, you brought him in so he could see Noriega. And he was a unfortunate looking, very diminutive fellow. That means small, Murph. Yeah, I I got that part. And and you can read on the screen here. I'm sending you some sign language now. Uh, he was, he was, I mean, he was like, uh, he was a really small, physically small person. And, you know, his nickname is Pineapple Face. If you saw him in person, you understand why he got that name. It's He's not a pretty sight. Yeah, he looked like a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put with it. With eyes. A golf ball with <laughs> eyes. Yeah, well, now he's uh, worm food, so. Worm food, yes. He's room temperature, which is a good thing for him. Worm guy S- too. We follow that, though, episode 63 with Keith Cregan, a nice local cop who got involved in investigating drug dealers. In fact, he led an investigation into a drug trafficker who made millions of dollars importing cocaine and then hid. This is the amazing parts, too, Murph. You, th- you talk about somebody with attention to detail and just having the tenacity mm-hmm. and perseverance. Mm-hmm. This guy hid his illegal proceeds through 1,287 cash deposits and over 20 banks totaling $7.5 million. I mean, just the tenacity. <laughs> hey, just adding up the total amount from 1,287 deposits to come up with $7.5 million is going to take you a while. <laughs> 
I mean, Keith, thank God that you, you, you know, you were on the job. You obviously have a strong work, work ethic and the ability to focus on an operation to come to reach a successful outcome. So good job, brother. Oh my God. Yeah. And just again, he, good guy though, really good guy. I, uh, you know, was doing, he was on the IRS task force, which he enjoyed as well as, you know, serving his community up there in New Jersey. So Definitely. this is us salute. Definitely would not want this man coming after you if you're behind any taxes. I'm telling you that. No, 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 no. I might get him to do my taxes. And what I told him, said, whatever you do, don't audit me. Don't audit me. Well, here comes uh, episode 64 is pretty cool, too, because this is the second installment of uh, Canine Officers, courtesy of Christy Schiller. This guy also wrote a book. Um, and so this was Mark Tappan and Canine Mattis, top cop and top dog, without a doubt the most famous police canine on the internet. They have broken the interwebs. Mark Tappan and Canine Mattis almost won America's top dog in 2018, blowing away the judges with a big splash in the pool. Mark and Mattis have done more than police work. They've reinvented community relations between the public and the police. Find out how Mattis became an internet sensation and why Mark wrote two books about his dog. And in fact, we have the books listed uh, and one of them is called My Dog Mattis, and the other one is called My Dog Mattis and the Barefoot Bandits. Uh, which is very cool. I mean, the, he, remember he told us a story about one of his tracks uh, yeah. with his dog. and <laughs> Holy cow. You talk about uh, a commitment to your job. I probably would have let that track go at some point there a lot sooner than he did. But it turned out being successful. And Mark has a huge, huge social following. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of followers. I was trying to look him up here real quick, but I'm not that, not that fast. Well, why aren't you? Because I'm old. You're old. I didn't grow up on the uh, on the with all this social media stuff. See here, all right, computer catch up. Uh, Two hundred sixty three thousand followers on Instagram. I mean, it, the guys. He's got a following, and it's all centered around his dog. He he does some funny stuff, things that a police officer you don't usually see doing, but he makes it work. Yep. Well, let me tell you, um, the, the, this this stuff with the dogs it is hilarious because again, it's a great it's a great as we said in their community relations tool. I um, mean, they do they just do some fantastic work with that. Absolutely. And again, thank you, Christy Schiller. That's right. Well, guess what? Well, next one we got. This one was uh, this was a tough episode for John. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, uh, episode sixty five. Is FBI Special Agent John Kuchta, Kufta. and the Kufta, Kufta, Kufta. Oh, that's right, Ufta, Kufta. That's right, Kufta and the DC Police uh, Headquarters ambush. So on November twenty second, nineteen ninety four, Special Agents John Kufta, Martha Dixon Martinez, and Michael Miller were working on a Washington DC cold case squad with Sergeant Hank Daly. Only John survived the shooting that day. A felon illegally in possession of an automatic weapon ended up in the wrong room at police headquarters and opened fire. He hit hit multiple times in the arm, chest, heart, wrist, and leg. The heart. John returned fire and helped end the ambush. The heroic actions of everyone stopped a cold-blooded killer from taking even more lives. I mean, just, I was, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about what he did that day. You know, I remember when that happened, you know, reading about it in the news and, and you're thinking, how in the hell could anybody with a gun get into police headquarters, especially in Washington, D.C.? But it was a different time back then. You know, we didn't have the security levels like we do now. Um, and it just, as we're sitting here talking about it, I just remember John lives only about an hour from me here in Florida. And John, if you listen to this, I apologize, brother. I, I was supposed to call you to get together for breakfast or lunch or dinner. I have not forgotten now that I remember. So I'll be calling, brother. <laughs> Make a note, Murph. A short pencil is better than a long memory. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the thing for our listeners. Most of these people, if we don't already know them, we don't get to meet them in person. You know, we do it. We record our, our interviews using video, but we only release the audio portion. Yeah. So, uh, John, I'm going to come see you, brother, soon. All right, John Kufta, Ufta with Kufta. So, hey, then we go to episode 66, and this this one's Jack Garcia. This one's interesting. It was called FBI Special Agent Jack Garcia Takes Down the Gambino Crime Family. Um, Petey Chops wasn't kicking up, and if he didn't start soon, he was going to get whacked. So begins Making Jack Falcone, the extraordinary true story of an undercover FBI agent's year -long, years-long investigation of the Gambinos, which resulted in a string of arrests that crippled the organized crime family. And in fact, uh, he worked for three years to bring down the top people and almost became a made man in the process. You know, I read his book, Making Jack Falcone, which was his undercover name, his real name, Jack Garcia. I highly recommend read if you want to take a look at the inside 
if you want to talk to someone, <laughs> if you want to read about somebody who is crazy enough to go undercover crazy. against these cr- mafia crime families. Now, Jack's, Jack's got the look. The funny thing is, he's Cuban-American. You know, he passed himself off as an Italian. I think he was one of the first. When he, I think he was one of the first Cuban-Americans hired by the FBI. If he wasn't the first, that's right. I'd forgot about that. Yeah, and he he filed a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act, to get his own case file to find out what the FBI had found out during his background. He said it was it was. I didn't realize they were doing that, but he said, "Yeah, several agents did that just to see what the bureau dug up on him during their uh, you know during the uh, pre employment or the pre employment screening and the uh, uh, investigation on their background." Yeah, well, you know what I did when I retired, I filed a FOIA request with the FBI because. We didn't leave on good terms. Oh, that turd! Yeah, we we'll have to talk about that turd too. There's another turd. We got two turds in this uh, oh, yeah. episode. But Jack, well, but, I was seriously, Jack, hats off to you, brother, for what you went through. Absolutely, man, and you got to get it. So it's episode sixty-six, making Jack Falcone. The book is making Jack Falcone, an undercover FBI agent, takes down a mafia family. So we got that. We've we've already done the Columbos. Now we got the Gambinos. We got some others coming up too. So. Good stuff, right? So uh, thank you, Jack, right? Yep. Episode 67. And this 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 one, this is a Brainiac episode. Uh, this is one where Murph was uh, like wondering what the hell went on. This is <laughs> so yeah, I, did, I was pretty quiet during this one. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Armfield, uh, we said the episode name is Mike Armfield is hunting serial killers with data. So he was a police officer and a detective with the London, Ontario Police Department before changing gears to teaching and researching crime. With his PhD in hand, Mike has been tackling some of the toughest issues in hunting serial killers with FBI data, including the Chicago Strangler. So he had a couple books. So we have it on the book list, too. So uh, the book is Murder in Plain English from Manifestos to Memes, Looking at Murder Through the Words of Killers, Murder City, the Untold Untold Story of Canada's Serial Killer Capital, uh, How to Solve a Cold Case and Everything Else You Wanted to Know About Catching Killers, Monster City, Murder Music and Mayhem, uh, and Mad City, the true story of the campus murders that America forgot. So the dude has written, I mean, he's written some solid books uh, and some good stuff is out there. Absolutely. It was, uh, and Mike, thank you for coming on the show. I apologize that I wasn't more active in the conversation, but you guys were way over my head on that one. We we used words that had three syllables. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, I think I kept continually giving you the finger during that one. But hey, you know. Yeah, yeah. constantly <laughs> reminding me of the number of friends you have, Murph. Somebody has to do in it. Florida. Somebody has to do it. Well, and then we get to episode sixty-eight, and a good buddy of mine, and he brought on one of his buddies. We called it Tommy Joyce and Mike Prate, Tales of the NYPD, and dude. I was laughing so hard, so it was like, but they had some great cases. Tommy and Mike worked together at the 79th Precinct NYPD. During their time covering the most active one square mile in New York City, they investigated and solved hundreds of cases from well-known rappers to Holocaust survivors who were killed. That one, that one will tug at your heart the way that they got justice for that person. Uh, Tommy and Mike shared just a few of the many stories that left an impact on them and made a mark in the 79th. So these guys were just freaking hilarious. They were. They, um, <laughs> they really were. And didn't, uh, I think I'm thinking, I'm not sure. Did he start a podcast? Did Tommy start a podcast? Was that Tommy Joyce? No. It was, oh, it was Dan Murphy. I'm sorry. Dan he's, Murphy, yeah. Well, well, and uh, he's coming Tom up. Smith, that's who yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Now, I tell you what, when you when you befriend an NYPD officer, you have a friend for life. It just, it's shocking these guys are old school. They would, you know, back in the day would thump your head because they were out walking a beat because that's what was expected. And you were out there all alone. You had to be able to take care of yourself. Uh, but these guys were hilarious <laughs> what they told us about. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, want a good laugh, go back to 68. Episode 68. <laughs> and you, you'll, well, between that and one of the episodes we have coming up to Kevin Black, you, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll crap your pants one time, literally the other time figuratively. So, uh, but we'll talk about that. Hey, well, this next one, though, came courtesy of Erin Burke. Met Erin when I was back out in Kansas. Uh, she's working on a book related to uh, episode uh, 52 with Mark Comboy uh, about the, the the shootout there in Colby, Kansas. And then she sends me this email one day, and it's kind of like, hey, have you heard of this story? And I said, no, but this is freaking awesome. Well, and it turns out, Murph, you actually knew the guy. So it's uh, episode um, 69. Guy Hargraves and Operation Trip to Oz, a missile silo in LSD, where? Little town of Wamego, Kansas. Guy Hargraves, he worked at Dallas PD, 
which he had a funny story his first day on in the Central Intelligence Agency. Before landing at DEA, uh, one of the strangest cases ever to happen at DEA involved the world's largest LSD lab hidden inside a decommissioned nuclear missile silo in the small town of Wamigo, Kansas, nestled in the Flint Hills of north central Kansas. Taking out the lab reduced nationwide supply by over 90%. And then he he put a book together, and it's called Operation uh, Trip to Oz. Um, uh, busting the world's largest LSD lab. I mean, it's just, well, first of all, his story about his first day on the job and this guy that was on, um, PCP, I think, and attacking him in his squad car naked, not, not guy wasn't naked. The other guy was (laughs) that right there might make you think you rethink your career choice. But you know what? And he was going to gloss over that too, Murph. That's another one of those wives. Whoa, 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 a minute. Yep. Let's go back and talk. He said, well, yeah, there was this guy on PCP naked that hopped in my car. <laughs> through the window. Didn't just come through the, the window. Climb through the window. Yeah, a guy has a sensational sense of humor, which is what made this so funny. But, I mean, here's a case that LSD's cases weren't a big deal. I mean, you know, it just wasn't that prevalent. But here's a case that resulted in a 90% reduction in the availability of LSD. That's pretty uh, significant. Pretty damn awesome. Oh, yeah. Good job, guy. Well, and then we get to one of my favorite episodes, just simply because we never got to the issue of law enforcement to weigh into this. Kevin Holland uh, and the operation to get Saddam Hussein. Kevin Holland is the only publicly confirmed member of the both the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, SEAL Team 6, also, you know, DevGrew, and the U.S. Army First Special Forces Operational Detachment, Delta. We call it Delta Force, but he says it doesn't exist, Special Mission Unit Delta. Right. After his time with SEAL Team 6, Kevin worked as a wildlife enforcement officer for the North Carolina Resources Commission for seven years until 9-11, got him back in the game as part of Delta. One of the highest profile missions was to find, capture, or kill Saddam Hussein. And Kevin was the dude pulling Saddam Hussein out of the little spidey hole. You know, um, this guy's a stud. I mean, just a frickin' frickin' stud. He's still doing things to help his fellow man today with what's going on in the world. You know, we're not going to talk about that because it's up to him to talk about if he wants to. We don't want to give up any information on him. But I have since talked to other former special operators and I don't mention Kevin's name. I just tell him, Hey, the guy was, was, was Dev grew or back then it was still team six and later became Delta. And they're like, Oh yeah, Kevin Holland. I mean, no hesitation. They know who he is. He's well known in the operator community. Um, and just like you say, man, we salute you, Kevin, for your service to our country, not only in the military, but in law enforcement too. Cause he had a couple of funny stories about being a wildlife officer in North Carolina. And those, yeah, <laughs> you know what? Like he's those probably, boys he was chasing in the woods that one night. Well, and he's probably still running up and down the road carrying with that, that log. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> carrying a tree on his shoulder. If you see somebody with the log on their shoulders, that's just Kevin. You know, yeah, just stop, say hi. <laughs> just stop and say hi. Say how you doing, Kevin? But again, man, you're right. What a what just an absolute stud. Well. We go from stud to another kind of stud, because if there were a definition for passion in the dictionary, this dude's name and picture would be all over it. Yes, sir. And that's your former boss uh, and a guy I met back in the day when he was working for Michelle Linhart. He was on my project for like two weeks. Then he said, I can't do this. I can't do this, Murph. Yeah. I got I to gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's probably a lot stronger in New York accent and a lot louder. <laughs> yeah. So Derek Maltz, Murph's former boss at DEA Special Operations Division, is a man on a mission. And he is. He has been all over the news. Dr. Phil, you name it. A mission to educate the public about the dangers of fentanyl, the countries behind it, Mexico and China. And to tell the stories of the children and adults who have died from being poisoned by this scourge. One of the most passionate people you ever meet, Derek, will stop at nothing until action is taken. And we put a link on there to find out more at the Maltz Challenge. Probably one of the uh, mm. uh, that was a that was a tearjerker when they his brother died uh, over overseas, uh, and he was over there one time in Afghanistan, and they took him to the spot where his brother died. Keith Bishop arranged that. Yeah. This this is how well thought of Derek is that so when I was in special operations Keith and I worked together I was in charge of the Mexico Central America section Keith was uh, in my section there uh, and Derek was the the head of SOD and so later in their careers Derek's brother who was a Air Force uh, what do you call para jumper the para rescue guy para rescue yeah 
was killed in action in Afghanistan trying to, uh, you know, trying to save his fellow soldiers. And so when Derek was over there years later, they surprised him with a mission where they went out and flew over where his brother went down and died. And then they landed and gave Derek the opportunity to place a wreath uh, where his brother died. And that's Derek started what they call the Maltz Challenge, M-A-L-T-Z. Look it up. Google it. It's still going on today. It's an annual event. It involves physical activity. See if you can live up to it, because right now I can't. But uh, I love Derek to death. Love him as a brother. Always will. Have the utmost respect for you, Derek. I bust your chops all the time, and you know what you call me. You know it. There's a lot of adjectives in there when you call me a hillbilly, and I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then we go to uh, our next episode, which is episode 72. Again, this is one of the things that we have talked to a lot of folks on are folks who have survived. And we've got several, uh, I think we've got a lot more concentrated in this second 50 mm-hmm. that we've done of officers who have been shot and wounded in the line of duty, you know, mm-hmm. obviously survived. But Nate Hutchison and his team were taking advantage of the slow pace at the beginning of the year to catch up on tips and follow up leads. One tip led to a search warrant on January 4th, 2012. The homeowner laid an ambush that resulted in six officers being shot. During the firefight, Nate was shot twice, but still managed to get, actually, he was shot a total of five times, but still managed to get two of his partners rescued out of ammo. Nate went back to save his partner, Jared Frankham, who was shot and unconscious. He was shot three more times rescuing Jared, uh, who later died. So that, uh, this guy, that's a, that's a hero. And, and Nate Hutchinson, it was like pulling teeth to get him to tell the story. He is such a humble guy. He's just, you know, they, I didn't do anything special. I was just doing my job. Those are my partners in there. And what a testament. You know, the Bible says, greater love hath no man that he laid down his life for another. There's the story. There's Nate lived up to that that quote from the Bible, man. It just doesn't get any better than that. Well, and he lived up to the other one. And the Lord said, who shall I send? And I said, send me, you know, yep. and he's out of ammo, out of ammo and goes back in to rescue his partners out of ammo. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a nightmare. That's 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 a situation that you might wake up in the middle of the night having cold sweats, thinking that you're in a gun battle and run out of ammo. Whew. Man, I just I, I'm just I, Nate. I hope I get to meet you in person someday, brother. Because you know the drinks and the meals on me, and want to shake your hand. Absolutely. Uh, so well done. Hey, with this next one though, episode seventy three. There's a little movie made about it. Um, and we worked to get this guy and it was so funny because we told him a couple times, it's just audio only, but he shows up on camera in glass, dark glasses and a ball cap. Yeah. And we're like, Joe Pistone, dude, it's us. We're not, we're not recording it. Oh, okay. You know, so, but still to this day, and we're not kidding. I mean, we're, we're, Joe Pistone, and this is the write-up on it. Joe Pistone always wanted to be an FBI agent after a stint in Naval Intelligence. He started as a special agent in the FBI. His background eventually led him to become Donnie Brasco one of the longest and most successful undercover operations in law enforcement history, just weeks away from being inducted in the, the Bonanno crime family. So we've had uh, the Colombo, we've had the, the Gambinos, and now we've got the Bonanno. As a made guy, the FBI shut it down. And But what a story. I mean, I know oh, he's told it hundreds of times, but man, still, what a story. And his, he was portrayed by Johnny Depp in the movie Donnie Brasco, which we had on our Patreon channel. That was one of the movies we, we reviewed. Yeah. Um, Joe, you know, when cops get together, here's what cops like to do when they're off duty and, and you're and within your own culture, you like to drink beer and tell war stories. Well, I don't drink beer. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I still like to go to the bars, hang out with everybody. So you hear these war stories and, you know, I mean, the Escobar thing, that that's, that's one story that I get to tell, thankfully, by the grace of God. But here's Joe Pistone, who was six years undercover going, I think that was the Colombo family also, wasn't it? No, that was the yeah. Bonanno. But I'm sorry, Bonanno family, six years undercover, leaving his wife and children at home, living this this lifestyle that, you know, when my, when I did undercovers, if I if I was in a meeting for more than an hour, that was a long undercover meeting. Here's a guy that did it for six years. So when you sit down with Joe at the at the bar or at the dinner table, you talk about somebody that has war stories. This is the one. This is this is a guy that you just sit up, you just shut up and sit there and listen and you're just in awe of what he was able to pull off. What a what a true American hero for what he did. Well, and the other thing too is it's funny the the final takeaway from this is that his undercover name 
was came from, I believe, a nephew of his, right? So when his nephew was on the FBI and he's calling in one day, he said, who's this? this? Is Donnie Brasco. They go, yeah, fuck off. You're full of shit. He goes, no. Hey, Joe, is that you? Really, it's, it's Donnie Brasco. <laughs> really, really, that's my name. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> no, Joe, I mean, what a prince. I've met his wife uh, a couple times and, and uh, one of his daughters, uh, former military. I mean, just motivational people, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You're telling me. I'm telling you. You know what I'm, I'm telling, telling you? you. I'm telling you about episode 74, another right. great guy, Dave Gaddis in the Miami oh. shootout. Yeah. Dave Gaddis was a rookie agent with DEA, barely six months on the job. He and his partner, A.D. Wright, get into a shootout with the trafficker. The gunfight goes south pretty quickly when A.D. is critically wounded, but he's still in the fight. Dave changes tactics, ultimately shooting and killing the suspect, saving the life of his partner. So we've got his book here. So he wrote a book. And it's called The Noble Experiment, True Stories and Hard Truths from My Time in the DEA, written by Dave Gaddis. And on our page, too, on his episode page, he's also got a, a website uh, that you can go to and find out. Just, I mean, again, another stand-up guy. And this is this is a rookie. I mean, basically, he's a rookie agent. And he does yeah. what needs to be done to save his life and, the, and, more importantly, the life of his partner. Dave and I were in Miami together. He got there about a year before I did. The AD shooting had already happened and all that. Uh, but just a guy that you look at, at like, wow, you know, he stepped up to the plate. His book, The Noble Experience uh, Experiment, uh, there are a lot of cops, especially DEA guys now writing books. Dave's is the best I've read so far. I, I got to tell you, it's better than than uh, Manhunters, the book that Javier and I wrote, in my opinion. I, it may be because I know so many people in his book, you know, especially from the Miami days, uh, the the experiences that he's been through. You talk, here's a, here's a, a South, you know, we call him, uh, he's from L.A., Lower Alabama. Here's a country boy that has been all over the world and experienced things that most people only dream about or they read about or they see in movies. I highly, highly recommend getting his book, The Noble Experiment. It's, it's one of those books that you're going to have a hard time putting down. It's absolutely, absolutely worth every penny you pay to purchase it. Well, uh, that's high praise when you're recommending somebody else's book, Murph. So, uh, but by the way, you still can get it at deanarcos.com uh, and get the book from Murph and JP. There you go. Always. There you go. Always. Deanarcos.com. <laughs> All right. So now we go to episode, we're on the last half of this now. So now we're going to Tim Stommel. Tim Stommel and the Queen of the Pacific. But here's what we found out. And this goes into the description. We didn't find this out, so we started talking with him. Tim Stommel started his career as a police officer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, during the notorious Jeffrey Dahmer serial murder case. He was working that night when this happened at DEA as a relatively new agent in Miami. Here we go again, Miami. He was handed a case other agents thought might not go anywhere until it did. Over 9,200 kilos of coke were seized inside a fishing vessel. You want to talk about persistence? They were on that vessel for three days until they found the coke. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's discouraging, too. If you're on there for a day and you haven't found it, you're discouraged. You think, well, screw it. Let's just get off. We're not going to find it. But three days? Good job, Tim. And, you know, you know, things were getting a little uh, dicey after three days. You know, people oh. smelling, you know, you're getting frustrated. You're cutting through everything. And it was hidden. It was, you know, hidden and hidden and hidden. I mean, it took it took a lot of, first of all, you know, you got to give credit to the folks who hit it. A lot of ingenuity in terms of how it was hidden. Mm -hmm. But you think about those boats, which factors into, uh, um, you know, when we had um, um, uh, who episode 26. What was his name? Came out of Venezuela. Uh, uh, Luis Navia. Luis Navia, yeah. Hiding all that coke, you know, in those huge ships. So, hey, congrats to you, man. Are you talking about stick-to-itiveness? That's Three what days. Tim has. I can't spell it, but I can barely say it. Uh, you can say it, though. Uh, multiple syllables. I'm surprised you did. All right. Very good. So we go from there to episode 76. And this is a guy, I believe he reached out to us, right? Or did we find out about him? He reached out to us, I believe, right? I believe he reached out to us and and I read his book and and uh, I love the book. And we're going to tell you about that here in just a second. Well, yeah. Episode 76. So we brought on Gary Edgington. Gary Edgington was going through the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Academy and unfortunately, I mean, this is another tragedy. His father, also a cop, was killed in the line of duty. 
Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.